welcome. Episode 246 of the Brain Candy Podcast. Today is a very special episode. You might notice it's a little quieter than it usually <laughs> is because Sarah's off gallivanting and Italiano, and I'm here with another Meister. Gretchen, welcome. I'm here again. Yep. Sarah, is- better watch out. These earphones are real comfortable. <laughs> Gretchen is my sister, and she also appeared on the, I mean, legendary, if you ask me, episode of the show where we interviewed Ken Olin from This Is Us and 30-something. I'm still not over it. <laughs> I Neither is he. This <laughs> Ken isn't over it either, if, you, if I'm honest, but... We've decided that it was time to have... You've never actually been in the studio. No, first time. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? It's intimidating. <laughs> Just like every other time. Intimidating. <laughs> what do you... Like, what is... Uh, is this what you thought it would be? And more. No, I'm <laughs> real. Yeah. Did you picture it like this? Yes. Mm. This is exactly what I pictured. Sarah's going to be real jealous, but you know what? The show must go on. The sad thing is, every time Sarah's not here, Mm -hmm. I'm here. Why is that sad? Because we're kindred spirits, and I love her so much. (laughs) Well, everybody thinks they're Sarah's kindred spirit, though. Really? Yeah, like every. That's why people love her because they're like she's so relatable and like she's so likable. Blah blah blah. (laughs) (laughs) But the the sick part is she is. And she really she is all is. those things and so much more. But a girl needs a vacation. Well, that's true. So off she went. To Italy. Without a care in the world. <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that she will have stories about wine and food and, you know, like not being on her phone. She's unplugging. That's her favorite thing to do. I hope she brings us souvenirs. She usually brings me salt <laughs> from around the world. Which, oh, funnily no. enough, is the best gift ever. And also the same thing you brought me from your vacation in a similar place to Italy. Right. Sheboygan, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to dip my little tongue into those salt pots. That Sarah's never been there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. Well, the show must go on, like I said. So let's get to talking. Um, we don't really have an agenda. Gretchen still, still thought we did themed episodes, which shows how often she listens to the program. I'm busy. <laughs> but solid. <laughs> hey, did you hear about this? I was watching, you probably saw it. I was watching a clip of, uh, Puff Daddy on, I guess it was Kimmel. Yeah. And he said that he lived with the Amish for a while. What? Yeah. For real. Yes. He was talking about his kids going off to summer camp and Jimmy Kimmel, like, you know, when they're on late night shows, like you can tell some of the questions have been pre-planned. Yeah. Well, this clearly wasn't because Jimmy was like, well, did you ever do that? Did you ever go on summer vacation or summer camp? And then Pete Diddy or whatever said that he went through this program in New York. I forget the name of it, but it's like a special thing for underprivileged kids and they send them off to these different locations. And he was shipped off to Lancaster no, in Pennsylvania and lived with an Amish family. And he said that he had to do chores 
And he's like, my kids complained because at their summer camp, they didn't have like a bed. There was no cots or anything. Yeah. He's like, I didn't have electricity. (laughs) And he like went around in a horse and buggy. Can you imagine what the, and he goes, I often wonder if they think like if they ever found out what happened to me, but I don't think they did. (laughs) And they'll never know, I guess. Right. What do you think about that? Well, that explains why he went the complete opposite. You know? <laughs> you Hip think that was in response? Gun toting in the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uses a lot of electricity. <laughs> I know, but he said that like he really enjoyed it and it taught him a lot and that you know, he appreciated how hard they worked and he said he really loved how they have really great dinners like Sunday. Like meal time is so big because what else are you going to do? I did not see that coming. Yeah, he was like, I really liked how they have, like, they sit down and they have a really great dinner. And I thought that is a good point. Well, none of this surprises me. Every time I see him being interviewed, I am always impressed by Why? him. He seems like a great person with good values and a hard work ethic, like you're saying. And I don't see that. What? <laughs> I'm like the opposite of Sarah. She's always, yes, and. I'm like, nope, I don't get that. <laughs> Well, I just, even in this interview, that part was charming, but I felt like Jimmy is like pulling teeth here. Like it was not one of those interviews that's like fun. It felt like strained where he was giving yes and no answers most of the time. Uh Uh-oh. But uh, isn't he one of those people that has like kids with a bunch of different people? Really? Or am I stereotyping? Not that I know of. He said he has six kids. Is it with one woman? One lucky lady. Maybe I just feel bad for her, and I assumed it was several divided amongst them. Maybe. I don't know. I can't say. Well, yeah. I mean, if it's with one woman, then maybe he is like the ultimate family man, and I've just been judging him. Too bad there aren't any with J-Lo. <sighs> what could have been? He says she's the one that got away. They all do. <laughs> right. There's like 50 who, of them. Who wouldn't? That's a very good point, but then why do they not treat her right when they're married? You know what I mean? I bet you she'd stay with them if they were real great with her. That's true. But isn't that true of all your exes? That's true of mine. They're they lying treat up. me like crap, and then when I leave, they're like, what? Right. You'll always be my angel. You're the one that got away. Yeah, suck it. Well, what the heck happened? I don't know, but you're right. I think she did find her perfect match. We were talking about that the other day. How? What's his name? Jeter. No. Who the heck is that guy? Alex Rodriguez. (laughs) Derek Jeter. Now who's stereotyping? Right. They're all the same. What's his name? A-Rod. Alex Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. Remember when I met him? No, but you meet everybody. He wouldn't take a picture with me. Wow. Yeah, it was at a nightclub. Burn. He goes, I get in too much trouble with that kind of thing. Just like Jay Leno last night. (laughs) Gretchen and I went to see Jay Leno at the Comedy and Magic Store in Hermosa Beach. What'd you think of it? I'm still reeling. What was your favorite part? Well, well, how Not we Jay. were the youngest people. <laughs> that, like the closest person was probably like 70. <laughs> we were in, we wanted to get there first so we could get front row seats, which we did get front row seats, but we were not the first in line. We were behind everyone from the Golden Girls. <laughs> in line. Like, walkers. Yeah. 
And rascals. like we we realized later because Arsenio Hall showed up as a special surprise guest and he pointed out how there was not one person of color in the entire audience. I guess that just shouldn't surprise me, but who knew Jay was such a homogenous audience attractor, right? <laughs> I would think he's like mainstream because, you know, that's true. Nope. Just white people. But it and was fun. old. It was really fun. Super we, fun. Yeah. And I didn't get to talk to him, but that's probably for the best. Anyway, I um, read a story about a biology teacher who rode across the Atlantic rowboat all by himself. He set some sort of record. I think it was like, I don't think it was speed. I think it was like he was. Well, the- I would imagine it wasn't speed. Guess how long it <laughs> No, I mean like fastest rower or something. I don't know. It was some sort of world record. Guess how long it took him? Like three months? Pretty good guess. 36 or 38 days. Which I would have thought it wouldn't take that long. Was he really in just a rowboat? There was no one following him or what? Okay, so there was no one following him. He really was in just a rowboat. But the rowboat, I pictured it like row, row, row your boat. Right. But it had a sleeping pod in it and ever it was quite big. So that's the same as like a pop up camper. <laughs> <laughs> Boat version. <laughs> like it was bigger than you picture, but it's technically the the way that it moves is by rowing. Still. Yeah. And it um what's that word? Where it flips over? But it's capsized. Cap- yes. Capsized after two days. <laughs> I know. Two days. Two days in, it capsized, and unfortunately, he was in the sleeping pot at that time. And he <laughs> fortunately had, no, because there was a window on it, and he had to have the window open to breathe to get the air in. And so the water went in. Wow. And it was self writing, so anytime it capsized, it would turn back over. But it um the salt water got into the electronic system. Oh no. And so he had a little bit of trouble with like trying to navigate the rest of the way. I can imagine. (laughs) Right. But the crazy thing to me is like, he's just a regular old biology teacher guy who was like, you know what? I'm going to try to do this. And he did it. Wow. Well, here's what fascinated me. He said one of the biggest burdens was that he had to eat about 5,000 calories a day to, like, compensate for the rowing. Wow. <laughs> and he was like, it was a burden because he would have to eat when he wasn't hungry, and it's like that astronaut-type food. Hey, speak for yourself, buddy. <laughs> that sounds like a dream. <laughs> That's your problem? <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. Maybe I should row across the Atlantic. <laughs> right? And then he talked about how his whole method... And maybe we could take something away from this, Greg, is he took it five minutes at a time. He never thought more than five minutes ahead. And that, like, the whole 36 days was just, what? what is the next five minutes? How do I get through the next five minutes? I'm totally into this. Mm-hmm. I just read a book, and they call What's it, it called? that. Well, do you really want to know? Mm-hmm. Codependency No More. Okay. I have a bit of a problem. 
but, <laughs> don't we all? They okay. call that the headlight theory. Tell me everything. Well, you only see as much as you can see in your headlights when you're driving. And yeah. that's all you concentrate on until the next, you know, so many feet. Why that- though? Like, how is this sustainable for a life? Well, I don't know that it's sustainable for a life. I think it's maybe in a time like that. Yes, like a crisis time. Yeah, obviously, because you have to have lifelong goals. That's what I thought. Yeah, I think this is just like survival. Ooh, okay. Interesting. And they call it headlight what? Theory. I'm actually writing this down. Um, Well, that's what he did, and I guess it works. And he also had um, a sound system and he play had a playlist mm-hmm. and they talked about like what music he chose and things and adam was talking about how like i wonder after how long he was like i should have made a longer playlist <laughs> he <laughs> ran out yeah like and it was on a loop yeah like what if it was only an hour or something <laughs> you know i don't know how many songs were on it but i am um, he it did say at the end of the article is in the new york times i'll put it in the newsletter that it really took a toll on his relationships and now he's going back home and he has a girlfriend or a fiance and he's like, I'm just going to focus on that because apparently this trip like did him in. Well, I can see how that would be. I wonder if he was homesick. Or lonely. If he <laughs> was. General. If he was homesick, he could use a homesick candle. What? <laughs> homesick candles are the coolest. It's so awesome. They have... One, they have a candle for every state in the United States. They have candles for cities. They have Pittsburgh. Wow. I wonder what that smells like. Right. Well, I'll tell you. Let me look because they describe it. Pennsylvania is enjoy the rich fragrance of caramel, maple, buttery rum. Yes. And malty molasses, like a perfect bite of fajores, whatever that is. Uh, that sweetness is balanced with dark cocoa and dry tonka bean finish. That's Pennsylvania. I need that. And then Pittsburgh, it says, industrial steel fireplace smoke and pierogies. What? Close your eyes and you can hear the passionate cheers from loyal fans. That's Pittsburgh. I love that. I know. These candles are so cool because, like, let's say your kid's going off to college you could get them one, you know, to take with them and then like they could feel good about it. And right. Or if you're graduating, then you could get one from where you went to school and take it for where you go to move or whatever. And it's a great gift, obviously. Yes. But I also think it's nice for yourself. Like if you just want to have like a reminder of where you're from or a talking piece at work on your desk or whatever. And the candles last for 60 to 80 hours. Wow. And they come in a clear glass container that's really pretty. They go burn all the way to the bottom. If you go to homesick.com to find every single one of the 50 United States candles plus dozens of classic U.S. cities and popular countries of the world, ship direct to you and your friends or family in just days. Right now, our listeners can get free shipping plus $10 off when you buy two or more candles. Just visit homesick.com and use our code BRAINCANDY. That's homesick.com and use code BRAINCANDY. I bought one for Sarah. Don't tell her. She's not here. And it's summer camp because (laughs) she was a camp counselor for forever. Let's see what it says that smells like. That smells like fresh green grass accord with hints of crystal clear lake water, blooming hyacinth hyacinth found along trails and just a touch of fresh lemon and smoke. They have like other things like football, Friday night football, 
Christmas, Hanukkah, things like that. Amen. I think that's so cool. I love candles. Sarah, like, sometimes is weird about candles. You know that song from Saturday Night Live where they sit, talk about how whip, women can re-gift candles? No. <laughs> so we have this running joke, and I, like, really want her to get into candles, so I'm going to get her that and see if it works. I'm sure it will. If anything will, it'll be that. It's like that description describes Sarah in general. Right. I know. <laughs> what is not to love for Pete Saki? Um, okay. Let me see. I got through that one. Um, oh, this is crazy. I read about a company in Japan, or different companies, I should say, in Japan, that are renting out women's armpits. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> to put advertising so that when they get on the subway and put their arm up to hold the handle, wow, that there's a, an advertisement in their armpit. What do you think? <laughs> I bet those ladies love it. You know, it's like misdirects from their chest. <laughs> right. <laughs> Eyes over here. But <laughs> can you believe that? I'm into it. I mean, you're standing there anyway. Well, that, that that's the debate, though, is that this was an ad week that I read it. Um, it was like, is this just sort of, it'll work the first time you see one, but like after that, you're like, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it would catch my eye every time. <laughs> What's going on over there? <laughs> right? <laughs> and But here's what, let's imagine you're the model, though, because... Wouldn't you hate it if someone was like, oh, tell me more about whatever Gatorade or whatever you're advertising? What well, do you like about it? I would hate it this week because I forgot my razor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your hair would be sticking right through. You'd really Although, have to keep up with your... <laughs> I saw that. I think it's like a sticker. Oh, okay. So it hides, you know, whatever you got going I on. feel like, what's the downside? <laughs> What? There's not really a downside apart from it's weird to rent out your body to advertise. Because mm-hmm. it's not just like a shirt. It's on you. Right. I don't know. It To me, it was like, is this just a gimmick? I know it's a gimmick, but is that all that it is and this will disappear in two minutes? Like a couple episodes ago, we talked about these duct tape bathing suits. Have you seen those? No, but I heard about them. Like... You know, people are putting duct tape on their body in certain like geometric shapes to cover their body, like uh, their private parts. Yeah. And it's supposed to be a bathing suit. But is that a real thing or just something like clickbait? Well, I don't know. I kind of like that idea too. <laughs> what do you like about it? It ain't moving. Like you can go down slide. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in the pool? I don't know though because... You don't have to adjust it. We talked about how have you ever tried to go in the pool with something sticky that thing comes right off really i mean tape doesn't do well in water but it's duct tape true (laughs) so if anything's gonna hold maybe it'll be duct tape but we were like wouldn't you rather just get a bathing suit i guess not well (laughs) then you won't be on trend i don't know i gotta try that one out um yeah but how much are we talking, though, that, for the armpits? Right, like you want to know, as the model, how much she gets? Yes. I don't know. What would you do? How much would it take? Not much. but Like, seriously, though, that's a real question. 
And how long would I have to do it? Okay, so you have to get on the subway, and you have to ride it for all of rush hour, 9 to 10. That's it? Yeah, how much? I mean, right now I'm making $10 an hour, so $11. (laughs) (laughs) $11? I mean, if I'm riding people stare at your armpit? Are you kidding me? No, it doesn't bother me. (laughs) (laughs) So you feel like this is no more degrading than like any job. Exactly. It's probably better than what I got going on. But (laughs) as a business person, I'm thinking, is this really a good idea? I mean, how much exposure is that pit getting? Mm -hmm. Not many people. Mm -hmm. Well, whenever I lived in Pittsburgh, there were a lot of jobs that would come through like the modeling and talent agency that I worked with. Yeah. That really had nothing to do with modeling or talent. They were just yeah. sort of like, they want people that are maybe telegenic or like can, uh, charismatic or something. Right. And you'd have to go to like, let's say the arts festival and give out flyers or whatever. I think it'd probably be along those lines. So maybe like $30 an hour. Wow. You'd be up for it. You yeah. would put a sticker on your armpit and ride the subway. For thirty dollars, yeah, it doesn't even. That I want to like me one hire bit. you to do it just with brain candy sticker under your arm. <laughs> well, I well, I'm going to the airport tomorrow. <laughs> do they have a shuttle? What do they have there? For real, I'm going to give you one, and you're going to take a picture. Lance is going to take a picture of you on the train with the brain candy logo taped to your armpit, and I'll give you thirty dollars. I mean, I don't know. I'm not into it. Uh, do you cry on airplanes? I can't say that I ever have. What? Why would I be crying? Sarah and I talk about this all the time that like when we watch movies on airplanes, something goes crazy and we cry on there. Never. When's the last time you cried? Maybe your head inside. (laughs) The day before I came here, probably. Okay. All right. But maybe if I had to use the bathroom on the airplane. No! (laughs) Do you watch movies on flights? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're probably watching like Tommy Boy or something. Exactly. Okay. I'm like, what's the funny? What is Kevin Hart on here somewhere? <laughs> right. That's why. Okay. You're choosing wisely. Well, we acknowledge and other people have said that they tend to cry on airplanes and we don't know why. Sarah's theory was because of the pressurized air. <laughs> right. <laughs> But there was actually an article that I read that tried to figure it out. And it was saying how um, there are several theories. One of them is that, um, so with crying in general, you know how like a lot of animals are born and they're like, they just walk off? Yeah. But humans, it takes us forever to be even a little bit self-reliant. Yeah. Yeah. And so crying is the human mechanism that's developed at birth or or exists at birth um, to demonstrate distress. And so like we have a, like a lower threshold for crying to begin with. Right. And then that crying um, is more likely during abrupt shifts in neuropsychology or no neurophysiology, which of course would happen during a flight because, you know, a lot of physical changes are going on, like when you change altitudes. Okay. And then, uh, you know how like a lot of times, like let's say you're at work and it's a terrible day and a lot of people yell at you or whatever, you might cry when you get in your car or cry when you get home. Yeah. 
but you're probably not going to cry like right there at the office. Yeah. They're saying that getting, just getting on an airplane is so stressful that by the time you're in that seat and watching that movie, Mm -hmm. then you just let it all out. It's a release. But this isn't happening to you. (laughs) (laughs) You're dead inside. But that theory made sense to me because just getting to on a flight on time through security, especially if you have kids with you, mm-hmm. is like by that point you're like, give me a Chardonnay and turn on like the cutting edge or whatever, <laughs> whatever film, right? And let it out. I guess I never thought it was stressful to other people going on flights. Yeah, I think so. It's not pleasant. Everyone hates it, dreads it. Sometimes if you have an early flight, you can't sleep the night before because you think you're gonna. Um, sleep through your alarm or miss your flight. Right. All that stuff. And well, so, I might be crying tomorrow because I have that really short time to get to my connecting flight. Yeah. And that is true. I'm already worried about it. Right. So let's say you make it and then you get on that second flight and then you put on what's like a sad movie out right now? I don't know. Some drama. I don't know either. Maybe it would tug at your heartstrings. Probably. And you would maybe tear up. Watch you will. <laughs> Take a picture of that too and hold your armpit <laughs> up while you're at it. Um, and you know what happens a lot of times when you fly is you get dehydrated. Not me. <laughs> Chardonnay doesn't count, by the way. She's sipping shards. Um, and if you do get dehydrated from alcohol or travel or whatever, you should drink liquid IV. I so need that. How many times since you've been here have you heard Adam squawking about liquid IV? I know. We're like scouring the house. There's got to be more in here. (laughs) Adam ran out and now he's like, keeps saying, like, it's as if he doesn't believe he can order it. Right. He's like, yeah, I sure wish we had some liquid IV. (laughs) We'll order it then. Liquid (laughs) IV is so awesome because it's one of these um, electrolyte drinks, but it comes in a, a powder in a packet, so you can take it on the go, take it if you're flying or if you go to the gym or whatever, and you just pour it into your water or your water bottle, and it provides hydration at two to three times the amount of a normal bottle of water. And so not only is it tasty because they have different flavors and they have they have a new flavor, or they have different ones that you can try, and it's tasty, but it also provides vitamins, more uh, vitamin C than an orange and as much potassium as a banana. Bet you didn't know that. I sure didn't. Um, and they donate one serving to people in need for every order placed. Oh, wow. Which is cool. And if you, you know, you're hungover or whatever is going on, it's great for kids. If they don't like drinking water, they might like drinking that instead. I love liquid IV. I know you will too, Gret. Right now, our listeners get 20% off at liquid-iv.com when you use our code BRAIN at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order on Liquid IV's website. Go to liquid-iv.com and enter promo code BRAIN to get your savings and start getting better hydration. That's liquid-iv.com, promo code BRAIN. Don't wait. Get hydrated today. I can't wait to try that. For real? Yes. You're so optimistic and positive about things armpits i'm happy on (laughs) flights you're so open-minded okay um p.s we have a good guest later on today i won't spoil it but it's better than me well you're not a guest you're a guest co-host you're like when like kelly ripa has like that revolving door 
Yeah, Consuelos. Wow. What's that guy's name? Mark. Mark, yes. You know why I don't know? Because his, inst- I follow him on Instagram, but his Instagram handle is Instasuelos. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, I know, don't usually see his actual name. He is dreamy. He really is. But how tall is he? Not tall. Like 5'6 or? That would be pushing it. Because really? how tall is she? Like 5'2, five 5'3. Five yeah. But you know what? I, I'd let him in. They're a beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> kick him out of bed for eating crackers. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, and he seems super nice. Yeah, and into her. Right. Like when I watched, I follow both of them on Instagram, and they just like are always women, Wednesday crush, whatever, whatever that is. Yep. I mean, we I, should all be so lucky. I hate them. <laughs> I hate their guts. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Hold on. Okay, I have a funny one. Go. Go. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, do you know, like, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but topiary, like a top. Mm-hmm. Well, how would you say topiarist? Like somebody that's into topiary. Topiarist? Okay, maybe that's it. Well, anyway, there's this guy in England who's that. <laughs> and he made his bush, this beautiful foliage. <laughs> wow. Okay. A bush, like a real bush of some kind into the shape of like a woman that was modeled after a Greek goddess. Um, that sounds nice. It does. And it looks nice, but people hate it. No, what, people where is this going? It? A little too much. Oh no. Like <laughs> drunk people <gasps> pass by after they're done at the pub and, and start humping the, the goddess. <laughs> Wait, let me see if I can find it. This was in, let me see where I found this. I don't know, the Daily Mail or something. And he's all sad about it and can't believe that people would disrespect his bush like that. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. What do you think? Well, isn't Sarah a topiarist? How so? <laughs> Wait, what do you call those things? They're in glass and they have... Plans? That's a terrarium <laughs> she's a terrariest <laughs> got it okay so ter- topiariest is only shrubs yeah large bushes let me just say <laughs> when you put in topiarist bush goddess drunk into google it doesn't come <laughs> up i guess you have to be more specific i wanted to show you a picture but she's real pretty the, the bush like how tall are we talking life size oh like the it looks like a lady if a lady was made of leaves Wow, that can't feel good. For who? The right. humper. And but he's upset because he'll come out like the next morning and he'll have to like trim it up and hose her off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because people are just having a little too much fun. That's sad. Um and wait, he oh, and the funny thing about it was that he kept saying that she gets molested. <laughs> <laughs> and it says it that they pull her legs apart. <gasps> her branches. Her name's Gloria. Oh man, she has a name and everything. I mean, I know they're just having good fun, but he takes it really seriously. What's going to happen to Gloria? He's just going to keep trying to keep her like trimmed. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, I admire his tenacity. I mean, mm-hmm. 
He's Maybe committed. he loves Gloria a little too much. <laughs> he does, but only in a platonic way, Greg. <laughs> I'm I will find that article and I'll put it in the um in the newsletter because you gotta we see all have her. to see that. Yeah, because I I could see how drunk people would think it was funny to like simulate it. Right. For photos and stuff. I yeah, but I can't believe that some people are like let me see. Well, right. I need to see how lifelike she is. <laughs> well, <laughs> Gloria's probably like in a lot of Insta stories. My God, right. I should do a search. I should follow that hashtag. <laughs> I mean, I'm following all the wrong ones. Right. Um, okay, wait. Hold on a minute. Let me see what, what else next. you got. A lot. Um, all right. When's the last time you got a speeding ticket? Oh, a year ago. What I was happened? on the way to my eyelash appointment. <laughs> <laughs> for real? Didn't want to be late for that. You told me about this. Yeah, it was my first one in the Chicagoland area. What happened? I was going 42 in, in a, a 35. Okay, that's stupid. But guess what? What? I used my charm. Was it a man? <laughs> yeah. And what happened? You were like, like, wait, I'm white, I'm white, and I'm blonde. Well, he just said, are you in a hurry? And I'm like, I Are didn't... you in a hurry? I said, I didn't think I was. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm new around here. I don't even know where I am. Oh, like, I'm, I'm, damsel in my, distress. My first time going this direction. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. You got a ticket? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you used your charm. What happened? What, dude, I tried. I should have said I tried. He gave you a ticket for going 42 and a 35. Yeah. How much was it? $4? <laughs> that's ridiculous. I think it was 75 bucks. Huh. But that's only my second one ever. Wow. And I'm 42. That's crazy. Yeah, I can tell. I've been in the car with you all week. I can see. <laughs> I don't kid around. She's in a hurry, people. I wouldn't even say a hurry. I'm just aggressive. Like, get out of my way. Right. That's all I want. Right. I just want... You got to share the road, Sue. So. <laughs> right. No, I admit it. I am an aggressive driver for sure. But I haven't gotten a ticket in like eight or nine years. Can you believe it? I have totaled my car. <laughs> <laughs> but no tickets. But um, have you been pulled over? No. Wow. No. It's that good weird? luck. I know. God would. Um, okay, but I read there's this there was a study done and they analyzed speeding tickets and found that when you control for race, um, gender, mm-hmm. class, all everything, that there is a benefit if you have the same first name as the police officer. Well, that's not looking good for me then. <laughs> Gretchen. <laughs> I'm Officer Gretchen. <laughs> no, yeah. Were you in a hurry today? <laughs> right. But it would benefit a lot of white men mm-hmm. because, you know, that's what we're mostly like a lot of Matthews, Michaels, Robert, you know, like any basic white man or even like an Anthony. Like a, that's a very popular name too. Yeah. Hey, hey Tony. Or like biblical names. It says that judges are um, 
less like so there they were providing context and they were talking about how there's a lot of biases of course mm-hmm. whenever there's things like this and when it's like up to discretion yeah like so like if a judge grants asylum to you and then I come in he's less likely to grant me asylum wow. just because they don't want to do it to right me. so things like that happen um or they're less likely to show mercy if it's hot out, less likely to show mercy if their alma mater lost that weekend. Really? Yeah. So they were showing like all these studies they've done to show like different ways that things that are totally unrelated can affect whether or not you are punished. But um, that they called it the same name mercy effect heuristic. And basically even when they controlled for all those other things that they tended to, they call that, um, I think they call it like a mercy ticket or something where even if you're going 20 miles over the speed limit, mm-hmm. they will call it a nine mile an hour because at 10 or above, that's when the fines get really big. Yeah. So they'll bump it down to that kind. Well, this is a sad state of affairs. Right. It's a real bummer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, good to know though. I guess. I don't know how much control you have over that. True. Maybe just don't speed. (laughs) (laughs) Play it safe. Um, Okay, so there's also... This is totally off the subject, but it'll probably lead me to introducing my guest. So Sarah and I talked about a while ago how... You know, we love emojis. and using them Right. But there's like a committee. There's an emoji committee that decides what are the new emojis going to be. And if you wanted to, you could fill out an application and say, I want there to be a certain emoji. And you could submit a drawing that, you know, either you or an artist created of the emoji. And this is how they introduced a flat woman's shoe, a ballet flat. Really? Because they found that men's shoes were all flat, mm-hmm. but women's shoes were all high heel. Yeah. Even the boot was high heeled. Right. And that, you know, historically speaking, high heels are meant to constrict the movement of women. And then, mm-hmm. so they were like petitioning to get a ballet flat in blue and they did. Oh, okay. And this woman like got an artist to create one and was successful. And I think it's on our phones now. But um, so now there's a similar petition to create a one-piece bathing suit for women. Oh. What do you think of that? I think that's a great idea. Right? Why do we always have to wear that pink polka dot bikini? (laughs) I know. And I never thought about it, as you often don't, with like stuff that's just sort of there. Mm -hmm. You're like, yeah, that's the bikini, and you put it there when you're talking about the pool. But... Why isn't there a one piece? And it kind of like sends maybe a message to young girls that like the bikini is the per- yeah know, whatever for sure. Um, and so the problem though is that a lot of the developers and people on the board are men, right? And they think it's real stupid. And they were interviewed for the article and were like. Kind of like you're making a mountain out of a molehill kind yeah. of thing. Wait, what's the big deal? Yeah. And so I don't know what's going to happen. It's still like uh, being considered, but I hope they do it. 
Well, if the blue ballet slipper made it. Yeah. Anything's possible. True, but it was a real uphill battle. Like, it took a lot of convincing. By the way, I'm, I should say, one thing you are, I mean, you're better than Sarah at many things, I'm sure. But one thing especially is your position on the mic. <laughs> I can't get any closer. <laughs> you know why? Because the last time I did the show. Well, it was over the phone. I know, it was over the phone, but it was a big complaint. Dude, but who uh, was the, complaining? The Brainiacs. They couldn't hear me. They want to hear what I had to say. Did they say that to you? Yeah. they were, Remember, they were like, it sounded like she was in a different state. And you were like, she was. <laughs> now, well, I, problem solved. Now I feel like uh, a recording artist. People. <laughs> it's like, I'm uh, in the booth. We are the world. <laughs> um, well, people complain all the time about Sarah because... Here's what's great about her. Like, she is herself 100% of the time. Yeah. And with that comes a lot of emotion, mm-hmm. a lot of highs and lows. I've seen it. <laughs> I've been there. And so she moves away from the mic a lot because she's just, it, it's yeah. almost like she forgets we're making a show. I know. That's why it's great. <laughs> it is. But people are like, Sarah, I don't understand why. Sometimes you're so loud and sometimes you're so quiet. <laughs> you're there and then you're not. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So there's an, a new book coming out written by Lisa Jobs, daughter of Steve. Oh, okay. Did you read about it? No. Oh my God. It looks so good because she was the daughter of Steve Jobs. Bef- like the, Her mom was never married to Steve. Oh, really? Yeah. They were together for many years. And then they got pregnant and then broke up. Mm -hmm. And then he said it wasn't his daughter. Really? Yeah. Hold on. Sorry, I had to clear my throat. Uh, (laughs) uh, She, they, he said he was, she wasn't his daughter. And it was the year that she was born is when he created his first computer called also Lisa. The Lisa no. computer. Yeah. Well, why would he do that? Well, it's so weird because then he, when she like became uh, 12 or something age, she asked him, did you name the computer after me? He's like, yeah. no. But then they went to, eventually they got a DNA test. Mm-hmm. And of course it was his daughter. And so he like begrudgingly allowed her into his life. Wow. And as an adult, he went with, his family, including her, to um, Europe, and they stayed with Bono from U2 for, like, a dinner. Yeah, you know how that happened, Right. And Bono was like, hey, your daughter's name is Lisa. Is that why you named the computer Lisa? And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah. So he admitted it to Bono. Mm-hmm. But to her, he was like, nope, don't flatter yourself. Oh, man. And one time, like, when she was seven, like, she didn't know much about him. Like, she only saw him, like, once a month. And he had a Porsche every time and it was always perfect. And Mm -hmm. someone had told her like, 
I read that your dad, anytime his Porsche gets a scratch, he replaces it. And so she said to him when she was like eight, um, next time you get a, a new Porsche, can I have your old one? Yeah. And he goes, you're not getting anything. Oh, no. And like it was this really bizarre thing. And she described it as she was like the blemish on his um, sort of ascent to greatness. Okay, yeah. Whereas he was her, the opposite to her. Right. The one thing about her life that made her exceptional. Yeah. And like her mom was like cleaning toilets and stuff to make money. Really? And, yeah. And um, so I can't wait to read the book. But this was just an excerpt that I think it was in the New Yorker or Vanity Fair. And so what happened, you know, later in life? Like did did they establish a relationship or? Like she was around and she'd go visit when he was sick and um, dying. But none of the other kids accepted her. And so like it's weird. And I think especially now that she wrote this book. Right. But that. excuse me I don't know if like she was in the will or I'm sure that's in the book yeah but like it's just weird to me when that happens and he he in other interviews had acknowledged that he was a bad dad right yeah I know and so I get that that there's only 24 hours in a day and you can't be like amazing at everything and he was busy building this empire and yeah you can't probably be a good dad too yeah but like, why would you pick some of your kids to be special and the one, the other one's like not? Yeah. I mean, I just from that. what you said, it, it makes it sound like he was a bad person <laughs> more it than really a bad dad. Does. Just like a bad human. But life is complicated and so we don't, we can't, it's Do you, hard to judge. I don't know. It is hard to judge and we don't have all the information. She's just sharing her side. Right. But like, I just am do you think it's a gender thing? Like, I don't know any moms who just pick one or two of their kids. And then, right. But I'm sure there are. But I've never heard of any. Right. It's kind of like a, all or nothing. Yeah. But this seems to be the case where, like, a dad will be real shitty for the first round. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when he's older, he'll have a second yeah, family. that and is true. What is that? I don't know. In fact... Maybe it was like you were talking the other day about how men peak so much later in life. And maybe oh that's God. not, maybe that's true, like maturity wise and, and, you know, like in every way, maybe. Gretchen and I were talking about how I saw this article about dating sites and it, they also included in it this chart that showed when a, women peak in attractiveness is 18 and then is a steady decline for the rest of their life, whereas men peak at 50, but it's pretty much like a straight line across their whole adulthood. Like it varies not a lot. It's crazy. And, right. And so Gretchen's saying maybe they peak in every way at 50. Right. And so like that's they're when like... they're ready to be a dad <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. Maybe. Maybe. Unfortunately, what, what age was he, 58 when he died? I mean, he was super young. Yeah. And he was one of those people that when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, he had a curable kind, mm-hmm. but opted for like Holistic vitamins and yeah. yeah, and stuff. And then it progressed so rapidly because mm-hmm. he didn't get chemo immediately. Yeah. And so then he passed away and he regretted that. But 
Anyway, he died super young, so who knows what, what could have been. But it sounds like he wasn't a great person early on. Yeah. This it's it makes me feel like hashtag blast too. Like <laughs> you know, <clears throat> we sit around complaining about our lives, but imagine being her. Right. That would be really, really difficult right. to overcome. Well, because we talk about how sometimes if you have never had anything that that's just your life and then right. you're kind of fine with it. But if it goes from one to the other, like you have a ton and then you lose it all, or in her case, you see what you could have but never right. get. Like watching him be a good dad to your step-siblings. Yeah, and you think, why am I not good? At, like, what is it about me Yeah, that's it? It's not enough. Right. She's obviously a great writer. Well, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. It was, it was, the excerpt was really beautifully written and I'm sure the book's going to be great, but it also reminded me there was this other story and I will introduce our guest, I promise, but it was about this guy and it's not funny, but it's bizarre. Like who similarly had a family that he was not good with Mm -hmm. and then he started his second family and was like this great dad or whatever. Yeah. But evidently he was unhappy all along. And he faked, okay, let me see how I can describe this. He commits suicide. Oh, no. But he made it look like it was a murder. Guess how? I can't. I know. How would you even do that? He got a gun Mm -hmm. and tied a weather balloon to it. (laughs) Where where do you buy those? (laughs) Where do you buy them? Where can I get one He, wherever he got it, I don't know, but he tied a weather balloon to it. Okay. Shot himself in the chest, killed himself, and And the gun floated up into the air. (laughs) Yeah. And so everyone thought he was (gasps) shot in the chest. And then the weather balloon came down with a gun attached. Like how, how much later? Like weeks. Like eventually someone found it. I don't know when it landed, but someone and found then it. then what? His fingerprints were on or what? Like yeah, that? it must have been like his fingerprints or they like put two and two together. Because it was like, there was no other. Oh, and they, I'm sure, I think they searched his computer and found like. How to buy a weather balloon. <laughs> well, because otherwise I was thinking like the sales would have rocketed on weather balloons. Like all murderers would be like, where do I get these things? The weapon just disappears. How <laughs> genius. I never thought about that. Like, if I wanted to kill you, <laughs> I, <laughs> I could just shoot you and then send it off. I mean, if it never came back down. I seriously <laughs> was just thinking about the suicide aspect. I wasn't thinking about, like, the perfect <laughs> crime. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> well, leave it, it. At least it gives you a couple weeks to run or whatever. <laughs> And most places that a weather balloon would land, it probably wouldn't be found. Right. But this one was found. Okay, so then what? Well, so then the article was written by the daughter who he had abandoned. And she was writing from the point of view of, you know, yeah, he was a bad dad, but who knew? Like, she wished she had seen the signs that he was truly in despair. Mm -hmm. And that we should all sort of pay attention to the signs that people give that whatever 
I know, but I'm sure she's just trying to make peace with it. Right. But she said she had no idea that he was despondent to that level. Right. Anyway. I mean, we could talk about this all day. Right? This is what happens with me and Sarah. It's like we never went out. I mean, because even when you see the signs, which has happened to me, I mean... It's oh, a very right. helpless feeling. I mean, what? there's only so much you can do. True. And that's a terrible feeling. Right. But I guess if you see the signs and you reach out, then maybe there would be less guilt than if you were like, they're fine, and yeah. dismiss it, which yeah. is what she did. Right. And so she feels like, oh, I'm really messed up. I guess, but like with this suicide airplane. Oh my um, God, theft. right. Theft. No, <laughs> the the people interviewed that you said did not know. They were like, he was a great guy. He had all, you know, all the he right things going on. husband. So you're saying that person should show more. I mean, because how could we recognize signs that aren't there? Well, that's I true, because when she described her dad, she said that she asked him, how are you and all that stuff. And that he was always like, not only say, said he was okay, but talked about the future, even right. the day before or the wow. week of. So maybe he didn't even realize how bad it was. And although he was researching the weather balloon thing, right. she said at the time that he was telling her like, I'm fine and I'm planning for this thing far ahead. Mm-hmm. He was simultaneously, but I don't know, like maybe they have both feelings. I'm sure. Yeah. So... I don't know, but I just found it really interesting and does fit with this sort of like weird thing where dads are crappy for a while and then have a second life and mm-hmm. rebound. Yeah. Um, we have a guest. Great. Um, she wrote this awesome book. Her name is Joe Weldon, and she wrote a book called Fierce, The History of Leopard Print. And anybody that listens to this show knows I'm obsessed with the history of. I've done the yeah. history of wall-to-wall carpeting, the history of like hot dog buns, whatever it is. Like I want to know the story. Right. So when this came across my desk, I was like, oh my God, I'm so psyched. Because she, and I sent a copy to Kara Zavaleta from yeah. Rules, who was in Playboy because yeah. she loves leopard print. And right. I always joke that she's got the Peg Bundy collection. <laughs> And they talk about Peg Bundy in the book too, but she explores like, first of all, like how this came to be a popular print, what it represents, you know, from the beginning of like, here are the animals that we wear now that the type of different prints they have, jaguar, cheetah, tiger, whatever. And how interesting it is that like animals that have those patterns, Mm -hmm. that's meant so they can hide. Yeah. But when we wear it, it's the opposite. That is so interesting. Yeah, like we're doing it to be, as she says, fierce or sometimes tacky or right. whatever, like different things. But definitely not to hide. Yeah. Um, and she goes through the whole history, talks about like Jackie Kennedy and how Jackie wore it. And then it became mainstream and then it became a problem because... So many women then wanted to wear the real furs that oh, no. the animals became endangered. Yeah. So then they had to like stop killing these certain animals and make them illegal. Mm-hmm. And then they developed really beautiful fake furs that you can wear that are um, 
just as good. Yeah. And but then also just talks about how in the seventies it became like uh, emblematic of gay culture and uh, camp. Camp. Camp cult. You know, campy like gay. Oh, like flamboyant. Um, Don't tell Peg that. Remember? <laughs> what was hers though? Cheetah or something? <laughs> it wasn't like leopard, was it? <laughs> my mom had my mom had this weird coat. <laughs> we should put a link to that picture. She says she got rid of it every holiday, the anniversary, you know, New Year's Eve. You'd see it. I'm going to ask her what animal. Was it real? Heck no, replica. Yeah, faux fur. My mom would wear, but for her, that was the coat she wore for special occasions. Yeah, you know, it meant this is a special night, right? And given that it was faux, she could have gone ahead and worn it the other days. (laughs) I mean, what are you doing? Um, I'm sure it was really warm. I'm sure. Anyway, it didn't look good. Before I introduce our guest, I want to tell you, because you've been asking what those adorable shoes I've been wearing on Instagram are, and they're Rothy's. They're so cute. They're the navy blue flats that I have. And here's what's amazing. First of all, no need for heels if you got Rothy's because they're super chic, they're super comfortable, and did you know that they're made out of plastic bottles? I did not. Yes. I've been admiring are. them all week. <laughs> I love them. They're so they're flattering. They're so cute. And like she said, they look cute or the, and they're comfortable, but they really are made out of recycled plastic, which is crazy. And you can throw them in the washer. No. Yeah. And so like you can just wash them and then they're good as new if they get gross. Oh my gosh. I know. See? I That's the kind of shoe I need. <laughs> That's the shoe for us. I'm rough on them. Um, they're an everyday flat for life on the go. And they come in. I have the flat. Sarah has the point, And they also have a loafer. But they have tons of colors and patterns. They sell out constantly. Um, and they are just, I mean, what's not to love? We love our Rothy's. We know you will too. Right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners. Use code BRAINCANDY to get free shipping, no minimum, free shipping, and free returns and exchanges on your Rothy's shoe. And trust me, you won't return them. Go to rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com, and enter Brain Candy to get your cute shoes and free shipping. No brainer. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, and free shipping. Get yourself a pair today. Rothy's.com, promo code BRAINCANDY. Get this deal while it lasts. Yes. Okay. It's such a great book. It's it's really fast to read too because there's so many images and pictures mm-hmm. and um, just anecdotes and put uh, a lot of stuff from movies, TV shows. As I said, Peg Bundy is talked about. And yeah, how she wore it. Um, I just love books like that. And Joe Weldon is. Um, I think I don't want to get her title wrong, but she's the headmistress of the, I th- think it's called the New York Burlesque School. What? So she like talks a lot about Dita Von Teese and wow, these that's women. so cool. Like what a cool connection to, yeah. to the book. Yeah. So she celebrates leopard print, but she celebrates sort of all things beautifully sexual mm-hmm. and fun for women yeah. that is are empowering if you ch- choose them to be. So welcome to the show, Joe, and thank you so much, Gretchen. Oh my gosh. For it's being my pleasure. My guest co-host for the second time. I know. I love it. 
I'm sure it didn't go fast. Do you feel okay? I'm like, what time is it? No. <laughs> is it bedtime? <laughs> um, I hope you'll be back again. I, I mean, will. when's Sarah's next trip? Probably exactly. in like two weeks. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love all the brainiacs. And I'm happy you might to be meet, here anytime. You live in Chicago, <gasps> oh, and that's you might right. meet some of them. Yeah, we're going to do that. We're hoping to do a meetup in Chicago, and Gretchen will be sure to be there with uh, Chardonnay in hand to meet and greet all of you. I can't wait. All right, friends, enjoy my interview with Joe, and, um, you know, Sarah will be ne- back next time. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Congratulations on your book. How you feeling? Thank you. Super excited. It's really <laughs> scary. It's like you, you work on something for four years and put it out there, but it's so exciting. Oh my gosh. You've been working on it forever. Do you feel mm-hmm. like it's it's a baby and it's finally here and now people get to enjoy it? Yes. Yes. And I, I always say like, please be nice to my baby. But of course, you know, it's it's just exciting to have people finally see what I've been talking about. Well, when did you know that you wanted to write? What made you feel like this was something you needed to do? I had been working on a project that wasn't really coming together for a while and I was frustrated. And my friend Indigo said, work on something else for a while. What do you like? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I like leopard print. And <laughs> it was, I, you know, I started doing research and I I found some photo essays on the history, but I wasn't quite satisfied. And so I started digging deeper and going through, you know, old magazines and newspapers. And um, I went to museums and everything. And I started really finding things. Well, what was it about leopard print for you that was compelling in the first place? Well, I've always worn it. I just found a picture of myself in 1979 in leopard print pants. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But getting ready to rock and roll. So as a kid, you know, I associated it with like comic book heroes and supervillains and rock and roll and a lot with, uh, you know, just these really outgoing women like Eartha Kitt and Anne Margaret. Yes. Badasses. And what's funny is when I started reading your book, I had expected it to be all that, you know, rock and roll and sexy and all of that kind of rebellion. But you showed me all the ways that it's evolved and changed over time and how it can be a part of royalty and being a warrior, but then it can move into the 70s and be about being camp. I mean, there was so much to it. Did that surprise you or you already knew? It surprised me, but the more that I talked to other people about how they feel about leopard print, the more sense it made because I would have people tell me that when they wore it, they felt elegant or when they wore it, they felt sexy or when they wore it, they felt playful or when Mm -hmm. they saw it, you know, people that didn't like it would be like, oh, it's just so trashy. And they would associate it with all these things that hadn't occurred to me. And I said, well, this is kind of a, it's a fashion contronym. It's a You know, it's definitions in fashion contradict each other. Yeah. And And, it can reflect how you see yourself in whatever way that is. mm -hmm, Or maybe like who you want to (laughs) be. Yeah. And I think that people put it on because they want to feel like you see it on casual clothing and then you see it on formal clothing. And um, I think that it has distinctive meanings in each of those contexts. And like whenever you wrote about it, it, your book is so much, 
it's first of all, it's fantastic, and I can't wait for all of my listeners to read it so I can talk to them about it. But thank you. <laughs> um, it felt really exciting because yes, it's about leopard print, but it's almost as if leopard print was the lens through which you were looking at really broad um, elements of society and culture and class. And I just wondered if that felt overwhelming for you at all as a writer. Um, I've been studying the meaning of women in public and gender in public for quite a while. So I wasn't really that surprised, but I was surprised at how much it happened. Yeah. Right. Um, and how, how much, how inevitably fashion relates to what's going on around people. So I was interested in big name designers, but I was really interested in what it meant to people as it became more affordable and accessible and why did they choose it? And now that people can choose more of their clothing, what does it mean? And it seemed over time not to change meaning, but to accumulate meanings. So it would always still have its, the meaning of, you know, goddess, warrior, royalty. And then at the same time, it would start to have these other meanings of, um, female empowerment and sexuality and um, elegance and fashion, all of these things kept, it kept having all those meanings. It never lost any, it just gained more. One of my favorite parts of the book is when you talk about, and this goes throughout the book, you talk about the theme of the ways that clothing is used to control people and, uh-huh. um, you know, denote class and how the wealthy are often trying to find ways to make sure that they're separate and look a certain way as opposed to the lower class folks. And then when you talk about the 70s and how it quote unquote became tacky, maybe to wear leopard print, but it was this cool way that the masses could take control of what they were wearing and the rich were still trying to distinguish themselves, but couldn't do it as well. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, a lot of um, (laughs) academics call it the uh, democratization of fashion, Mm. which means more people had access to it. And I think that in all fashion, it's definitely become interesting to see, whereas, you know, until about 200 years ago, you had to be pretty well off to have clothing that didn't serve a very distinct purpose, right? So to choose clothing just for style or entertainment, even though everybody knew about it and wanted to, Clothing was made stitch by stitch by hand with no machines. Textiles were really expensive and people just couldn't afford to do it. Now they can afford to express themselves as well. And as you see in the history of, they're called sumptuary laws where rich or royal people will forbid people who aren't rich or royal from wearing things that they wear. Right Right now they just can't really do that anymore. I friggin' love it. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Um, One of the parts of the book that was so interesting was the um, discussion about Jackie Kennedy Mm -hmm. um, and how much of a role she played in this leopard print phenomenon. Can you describe for our listeners what that was all about? Well, she had a leopard fur coat uh, that she wore in 61 and 62 And it caused this sensation. And leopard fur was already very expensive, uh, very flamboyant. Um, You know, it it was really 
the leopard fur coats were really made popular in the U.S. by flappers. And those are some flamboyant women. (laughs) But for Jackie Kennedy to come out and make this big statement, and I, you know, I, I went through a lot of images at the JFK library. That's where I was looking at a lot of this and old newspapers. And then I had people who uh, were of an age to remember her wearing that coat telling me what a stir it created, you know, that people were talking about it. I love and, that. Yeah. And so it's, it's this very exciting moment. Uh, it's, you know, mm-hmm. for someone who's so well known for her fashion sense is just to really seal it. <laughs> and But the leopard population became threatened and a lot of people identified that coat as part of the the rush on leopard fur. And Oleg Cassini, who designed it, felt terrible about it. Mm-hmm. And so he became a huge advocate for um, fake fur as high fashion. Which and what so we true. think of as, yeah, what we think of as fake fur wasn't really developed with those artificial fibers until the 1930s, sort of. There was fake fur before, but not the way we think of it. Yeah. And... Uh, um, you know, so he really worked to make that acceptable in fashion, not just as, you know, kind of a lowbrow fashion, but as fashion itself and really pushed for that and worked for conservation of cats and anti-fur. And um, that was a big change for a designer to be interested in protecting the animals. And it had a lot to do with that coat. Right. And he is... I credit him because he legitimized this thing that uh, might not have been able to be mainstream before. He was like, no, it's cool. We can do better. <laughs> and kind yeah. of brought that. And, you know, the weird thing about the Jackie Kennedy, the image in the book in particular, you, I look at it and I wasn't around at that time. And I would have just thought, okay, yeah, Jackie Kennedy wore a leopard print coat. That makes sense. But you provide this context of like, no, this was like a big deal and mm-hmm. if you were around at that time, people were, as you say, talking about it, and it kind of created a stir. Yeah, and then there was a stir again later on when um, the uh, the Somalian ambassador wanted to give Hubert Humphrey's wife uh, an expensive gift, and she said, I can't accept it. Personally, I can accept it on behalf of the government. And they're like, but we gave Jackie Kennedy these expensive leopard furs. This is all according to the newspapers. Right. Um, so I'm quoting from the newspapers. Um, and, you know, the value of what a uh, government um, representative in the U.S. could accept at that time had changed. So she couldn't have accepted it. But then Ethiopia, who had some you know, border tension with Somalia said, no, we gave Jackie that coat. So I went and and I went into the Kennedy archives and I found a photo of her in the Rose Garden with the Ethiopian emperor wearing a coat he had just given her, but it was after the other coat had been worn. There's two coats. Can you believe that? I know. Cases over here. (laughs) Well, if you've been looking at a lot of cats, you you go like, oh, those are, that's not the same. That's not from the same cat. Right. Right. You're way better. Like, I don't know how you can keep track. I'm amazed at that, by the way. Oh, thanks. But it was like, I almost stopped and said, I think I'm just going to write a book about this coat. (laughs) Just that. (laughs) Yeah. But that was a big turning point that that, uh, for the um, anti-fur industry, anti-fur industry, anti-fur movement. Yeah. Um, And so those... Uh, exotic cat furs did become 
illegal for trade in the early 70s. Thank heavens. Um, Mm -hmm. When you were putting the book together, were there images that you wanted to include but weren't able to fit in the book? Well, I mean, I started out with a folder of about a thousand images (laughs) and started narrowing it down. So, you know, I have a Pinterest and I I hope that people who are really curious will look at the Pinterest because there's visual, there are visual examples of everything I talk about. That's a great idea. Yeah, because like a a lot of the 18th century uh, material wasn't available to me or the scans weren't big enough or it was too expensive. Um, and, uh, and I also, I wanted to use the one big picture so you could really see what those fashion plates look like instead of a bunch of little pictures. Um, and there were definitely a few images that I wanted that I didn't get. So then I would have to dig even deeper and Mm -hmm. it was, it turned out really well because I found images I hadn't seen before, like the image of Wilma K. Rusi, the first, uh, woman taxi driver in New York city in 1915 wearing leopard. <laughs> oh, I love it. And that was her first day driving and it was a big deal because, you know, there there's still, you know, women aren't even allowed to drive cars in other countries. Like it's a big deal for women to have that level of agency and mobility and she's making her own money and, you know, it, she just represents even though it's again, you know, you're looking, well, it's fur. It's like it's a different time. And in that case, the different time has to do with what's available, right? Right. right. But she's definitely identifying with that same thing that a lot of the flappers were, which is we have agency, we have mobility, we're getting our power in society, and we have to be fierce to hold on to it. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for people like you who do these deep dives into things (laughs) that other people might dismiss as superficial because it is surely not. And that's why I'm so excited about your book. And I was wondering uh, what, how you chose the name. Like, were, were there other names that you considered for the book? Well, I was always calling it the history of leopard print because that was my, my through line. But what repeatedly came up was uh, that the people who chose to wear it almost inevitably had a fierceness about them. And when designers would present it, catwalks, um, they would always present it as something that was um, related to the powerful side of our animal natures. Mm. You know, like we're we're not prey. We're going out there being powerful and fierce. Yes. And I just saw that over and over and over. And also like the playful aspect of it that people associate with cats. It's like the only print that you can put on that automatically evokes cat. I mean, unless you have pictures of cats, but <laughs> <laughs> right. that's a different but, thing altogether. <laughs> yeah. But and, you know, people love the cats are playful. So you have simultaneously this powerfulness and this playfulness happening at the exact same time. Yes. When you, what do you think about the cover? Do you love it? It's beautiful. I love it. We originally talked about having a fuzzy cover and double. Mm. And then when they went metallic, because I said, you have to be able to see it from across the room. (laughs) And we've also found that for selfies in uh, low light, it makes a great light reflector. I know. I follow your Instagram and I'm like, every dang picture is so beautiful with that book. (laughs) Yeah. I love it when people send me pictures of the book in their house or them reading it. I just, I can't believe it happened. I'm, you know, I'm not really... I'm not, I don't have an in in publishing in particular. Mm -hmm. I don't have a history of 
in academia or anything like that. I just decided to write a book about leopard print and people encouraged me. And I, it's, it's just a million to one shot that this book would have happened at all. Well, I think it's going to be gangbusters too. Like, I mean, it's it, cause it's a really special thing when it's a book is fun to read, but also beautiful to own and have as a piece in your house. That's really cool. And that's what you're. Thank you. Is. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that. I'm so glad to hear it because it's only been out for a few weeks. So I'm still. Oh my gosh! Like, is it okay? Oh my... Do people like it? I can't believe you would even doubt. It is <laughs> perfect in every way. Um, oh my gosh, that's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> I was wondering, um, what is next for you? Do you feel like you can even think about it, or it's like you know exactly what you're going to do next? Um, we're working on a budget for a documentary. Yes. And, um, and then, you know, that means I have to renegotiate all the image rights. Um, oh, no. But then it would be an opportunity to interview some people who, because I didn't do interviews for the book. Hmm. So this would be something, I mean, I talked to people. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't, I, I'd be, it would be fun to go do interviews and film people talking about leopard print because they just light up. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah, there's so much to it. And visually, I think it would be such a fun thing to watch as well. Yeah. And one woman told me that she works with bullied children and they become very withdrawn. And one of the exercises that they do is put leopard print on them and have them roar and the kids love it. And they really respond and are transformed. And I, I was like, I don't know if this is crazy, but if they would let us film that, you oh know, God, like maybe they, chills. maybe that's intrusive. I don't know, but I'd love to show it to people. What a beautiful idea. That is such a cool thing. Yeah. So I just have a lot of, I've seen so many amazing things and, um, I want to, you know, even after the book was turned in, which was basically a year and a half ago, um, with some changes, like minor changes, because at, at a certain point, they're like, no more changes. <laughs> I kept finding about about even more exciting things. And like the chapter where I'm talking about who wears it now and all these, you know, yes. one thing after another of exciting people who are wearing it, there's even more. So <laughs> Yeah, you can keep building. I'm like, I'm like, what if Serena Williams would talk to me? You know, just that kind of like, wow. That's cool. Um, I like that. Yeah. We have one question that we ask everybody at the end, which is, what do you keep in the trunk of your car if you have a car? Um, I don't have a car. Um, I'm a New Yorker, yes. so we carry things around in all bags. the time. Okay, what's we in do. your bag? Oh, let me think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, weird. So, it's so boring. All right. Um, black eyeliner. Yes. <laughs> Red lipstick. <laughs> I love um, this. Yeah. Uh, a notebook and a passport. <gasps> That's perfect. <laughs> Our theory is that it represents where you are in your life right now. And I think those things are just about right. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm sure there's something interesting in my purse that I'm forgetting. That's right. Oh, and a metallic Sharpie to sign my new book. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And what color is it? Gold or what? Uh, it's bronze, oh like gosh. the spots in the center. Are you going on tour? What's the deal? Um, I'm presenting at a few conferences. I'll be at Tiki Oasis in San Diego this year. I'll be at Denver Modernism. These are both in August. And then I'm going to do an East Coast tour in September and probably a West Coast tour in yes. October. Oh, good. This is so exciting. It's just the beginning. Wow. Yeah. And I put all those events on my website. So 
great. We will link it as well. So people go running towards you and um, where can they follow you on Instagram as well? Uh, my Instagram is at headmistress Joe because I run the New York School of Burlesque. So I'm the headmistress. I think you're officially the coolest person I've ever interviewed. <laughs> oh, God. I Thank mean, you. who's that oh, cool? So nice. Oh, my God. Yeah. We can all uh, aspire to be more like Joe. Yeah. So headmistress Joe and I post a lot of burlesque pictures of costumes and classes. And I post a lot of leopard print. Um, <laughs> I post uh, vintage items that I find that are available now because I collect vintage clothing and, you know, superstars wearing leopard print and yeah, and all that fun It'll stuff. It'll make your day. That's what I know from following you. It always makes <laughs> thank my you. day. But congrats again on the book. You're wonderful. And thank you so much for talking to us. We're happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased that you're interested. You're off the hook. I'll let you know when this comes out, but I really am excited. I know people are going to love your book. Oh, thank you so much. Talk soon. Thank you. All right. Take care. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.